What's up, guys? Uh, my name is Jordan. I'm the, the director of this thing, of Salt Company. So I'm going to be the one talking at you most of the time this year. So you're stuck with me. Deal with it. Um, yeah, so we're, we're going in our Jesus Is series. And we're talking tonight about how Jesus is the truth. And, and I've got a big question that I want to start out the night with, all right? So this is my big question for the night that I've been thinking about. Do aliens exist? All right, so I'm going to bring this back. Okay, you watch this. This is, this is related, okay? I've been, I've been studying this, and there's, uh, there's organizations who kind of their entire thing they do is look for aliens, all right? And I actually, like, I've been persuaded a little bit. Like, I was a non-believer, and I think this week I'm like, you know what? Actually, we're doing this. This might be a terrible idea. Okay, we're family. Commit. I'm curious about this. This has nothing to do with anything. I just want to find out. Okay, if you think that there is intelligent life in the universe besides us. Raise your hand right now. Just own it. Okay, like there are a lot of you. There, we got a lot of believers. Okay, okay, cool. Thanks, guys. Thanks for that. I, uh, yeah, we'll see. Talk to me afterwards. See if you can convince me, okay? So aliens. So there is an organization called the SETI, Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, like a full-blown organization that their whole thing they do is look for aliens. Okay, and they have this thing called the the Allen Telescope, which is worth $30 million. Okay, someone spent $30 million on a telescope that this is literally the whole thing that it does is it looks out into space and hopes to find an alien. And then it's got like, it, it listens to space. So it's essentially like a giant space microphone. And the whole goal of this thing is just hoping that like an alien is gonna talk into the space microphone. And, and there's someone like 12 hours a day, seven days a week that their entire thing that they're doing is they're just looking and listening to what's coming from above. Okay, so this is where I'm going with this. Human beings are weirdly curious about what's beyond us, about what's above us. And there's people that are giving their lives to trying to figure out if they can hear a voice from above. And this is what we believe as Christians is that there actually is something beyond us, that there is actually a voice from above and that he's spoken. His name's Jesus Christ. He's the ruler and the author of the universe and he's spoken to us about who he is and what this life is about. And it's intuitive for all of us to be curious to ask these questions about like, what's my life for? And like, what's the point of all this? And we, we try and figure out like some of the stuff that we think is weird, weird about this place. It's because we have this ingrained desire in us to look for something beyond us. And that's Jesus Christ who's spoken the truth to us about himself. He's the voice from above that's come down to us. He's entered in to tell us about who he is. He's spoken the truth to us. But here's the thing, is I think for some of you, so some of you in this room, you're not convinced on this Christianity thing. And, and I'm pumped you're here. Seriously, thanks so much for being here. You keep coming, okay? But you're not convinced on this Christianity thing. And you might have this sort of vague notion, this, this idea about who God is, but it's, it's sort of like these people that are looking for aliens, that, that they're just kind of sitting there with this, this vague hope that there's something out there beyond us, and you're kind of just hoping that there's some sort of a God out there, but you have no idea what he's like. And so you can't have a relationship with him. Some of you, you're in on this Christianity thing. 
right? You, you believe in God, but here's the deal. I don't know if you're much further along because you don't know all of the ways that he's revealed himself to you and you know abstract facts about who he is, but you don't know what it's like to actually know him. You haven't actually heard his voice in your life and understood what it means to be in relationship with him. And here's what I want you to know. What you believe about God is the most important thing about you. We all have a few like truth claims in life, a few things that we say this is absolutely what's true and we live our lives based around them. You will make a couple truth claims about what you think is true about God and it will determine whether your life is significant or not. And so I want to talk about the truth about who he is. All right, so this is where we're going. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 1. So if you have a Bible on you or if you have an app on your phone, I'd encourage you to, to download it if you don't have one, but go ahead and flip there. We'd love for you to follow along with it. And these are the, the kind of three places we're going. The truth that God wants to be known, point one. Second, the truth about God's son. And third, the truth about you. So the truth that God wants to be known, the truth about God's son. And third, the truth about you. Okay, so this is Hebrews 1. Follow along with me if you got it in your Bible. This is the ESV. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through, also, through whom also he created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. And listen, this is crazy. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. He holds the universe in his hand. And after making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So I want to look at that first sentence. Long ago, in a bunch of different ways, God spoke. And here's why this is awesome. Here's why that's significant. is because it means that God wants us to know what he's like. And then he's going to tell us what he's like because he wants us to know about him and he wants to know us. So in other words, God's playing a giant game of Marco Polo. Okay, have you guys played Marco Polo? If you had like a normal childhood, you played Marco Polo. I'm sorry that I just dissed your childhood. If you didn't play Marco Polo, you're fine. Okay, but if you've, if you've played Marco Polo, okay, this is the game. Essentially, you, you typically play it in a pool, okay? And, uh, and there's uh, somebody in the middle who's it, and they've got a blindfold over their ass, right? And, and they kind of give it a second, and then everyone kind of spreads out. Or that's the typical strategy of most people is you get a far, as far away from the person in the middle as you can, right? But not me. Here's my strategy. I care more about freaking the person out who's in the middle than I do about winning. So this is my strategy. Sneak as close to that person as I possibly can without them knowing that I'm there. Okay, so they, they get dubbed the person that's it, and I kind of sneak up next to them, and they're, they're pausing, and then they give the little Marco, and I'm like, pull right in their face. Right? And typically they're so freaked out that they can't tag me and I'm gone. Okay? This is what God is like. <laughs> yep. God is yelling polo out into the universe. He's exclaiming his name and he's crying out to you because he wants you to know him and he's shouting it towards you because he wants you to know what he's like. And he does it through a variety of ways. One of them is he does it through his creation. Okay, so if you guys haven't been up to the North Shore, you got to get up there. I went up there for the first time uh, last year. And I, I threw like a photo of it up there. Photos never do it justice, right? But we, we went up to the North Shore and we, we climbed up on this bluff. 
and then we, we looked out over the lake and kind of saw the trees and all that stuff. And you can't see it in the photo, but there's this, this little rock that kind of overhangs and it, it curves up like this. So I, I laid down, like stomach down on the rock and hung my hands over the edge and my face kind of up on the edge of the rock and I just looked out for like 20 minutes. And have you ever had those moments in nature where like it's just normal stuff. It's just like trees and water, but like something happens in you, you know, where it's like you can't get enough of it. That's God crying out about his existence to you. That's God saying polo. He's crying out to you about his existence. But if that's true, like if if God wants you to know him, if he wants to reveal the truth about himself, then why do so many people not know him? Why don't you know him very well? Like, do you, do you sometimes wonder if this thing is real? Like, I, okay, I'm a, I'm a pastor. Like, this is like, this God thing is what I do. And I have days where I wake up and I just go like, this all seems weird. Like, like I don't know, is this, is this actually true or is this something that I made up to sort of comfort myself? Right? Or do you have those times where you feel like completely alone? And, and, and you're crying out to God. Like, there's times where I, like, I need God so bad that I'm, like, yelling. I'm literally yelling at him, like, God, you got to come through for me. you got to do something for me. And it just feels like you're, you're talking to a brick wall. If God has revealed himself in creation, if he's screaming out that we would know him, then why is it so hard for us to know him? And, and here's what you'll do. Here, if you haven't hit those moments in your life yet, you're going to hit them. And here's your, your, here's your temptation. You'll be tempted to think that there's deficiency in God. That the reason why God feels distant is because of him. It's his fault. But the actual deficiency is in you. That's our sinful nature. Like Adam and Eve never had to look for God. They never had to have anyone describe to them what he was like. Why? Because they were friends with him. They walked around in the garden with him. They knew him. But sin has wreaked havoc on this place. And so this is what your sin nature is like. It's like you putting in your headphones and turning up the music. You're trying to drown out the voice of God. And this is what our culture does with this. Like this tension between like our desire for something beyond ourselves, but our inability to understand what he's actually like. This is what our culture says, is it says, you know what? Truth is relative. Drew talked about this a little bit last week, but it says truth is relative. Like you've got your truth. I've got my truth. Like let's all just kind of do our own thing. Make sure we tolerate each other and let's get along. But here's the problem with that is sometimes (laughs) that was, you guys should have seen that. So the AC turned on literally this entire section just, Freaked out. You guys lost it. All right. So, yeah, so that happened. I can see you guys from stage. I don't know if you know that. Sometimes people forget that, and you guys do, like, weird stuff. Like, if you fall asleep, I see you. Okay. Anyway, but, yeah, we're back. Where, what was I talking about? Tony, what was I talking about? Jesus. Okay, cool. Thanks, man. Appreciate that. Okay, okay, so we were talking about morality. So, so here's the deal. We, we, we think that we can solve the problem through... Relative morality, like you have your truth, I'll have my truth, but here's the problem with that, is sometimes there's stuff that's just wrong. Like inherently, it's just wrong. So I've been following the news on something that's happened lately that was just terrible. There was um, a, a golfer at Iowa State University, and she was 
like a fifth year. I think she had just graduated. She was about to go pro. She was, um, she had a boyfriend that she loved and was about to marry. And earlier this week, she went out for a round of golf. And there were some golfers behind her that saw her out a couple holes ahead. And then they caught up and actually found like just a golf bag and not her. And so they, they reported it. And a little bit later, authorities found her body. And actually that same day, they, they ended up tracking down this guy, just a random guy, I don't think he even knew her, who had just told his buddy a couple days ago that he just wanted to kill someone. And so he hid, came out, caught her, killed her, and threw her body in a pond. And I'm, I'm like watching the ramifications of this. And I'm watching all of the people that are hurt by this situation. And I'm just like, what? I'm mad. Like, like why is this world like this? And, and, and here's the deal. Like, if, if your way of understanding morality says that that's not actually wrong, that that's actually just different preferences, that her preference that day was to wake up and live and his preference was to kill someone and who are we to judge between those two things because that's actually carrying out the consequences of relative morality to its logical conclusion. Like if that is what you believe about the world, then maybe there's something wrong with what you believe. Here's the deal. We have to call out injustice in this world and we gotta be able to say, you know what, that's wrong and there's a right way to live. And that's why there has to be an absolute truth. There has to be something beyond ourselves that sets the standards for what's right and wrong. And we need something to make sense of this this world that's like crazy, beautiful, and absolutely broken. We need something to to enter in and explain it to us and and teach us how to live here. And and here's what's true. Is is that you, you can't discover a truth to fix that. So science or philosophy or reason, those are all, those are all good things, but they're, they're not ultimate things. They can't explain stuff like that. They can't explain the world. Relativism can't explain it to you. The truth has to be revealed. It has to be taught to you. It has to be shown you. And when we're trying to understand this crazy world that we live in, it, we're, we're like, okay, imagine somebody that's in a dark room and all you have, and you're trying to like understand what the room is like and all you have is a little match. And so philosophy or science or, or reason or like what you think about the world is you lighting that little match. And yeah, it helps you see a little bit. Like you can see just a little bit of stuff around you. But in order to see the room, somebody's got to flip on the lights. And only God can do that. And this is what I want you to see, that God turned on the lights in this world through his son. That if truth isn't relative, if it can't be found, if it can't be created, it's got to be revealed. God's revealed it in his son. So that's the, the second point, the truth about God's son. Hebrews 1, 2 through 3. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. 
So the way that God revealed what he's like, the truth that we can know about God is in Jesus Christ. And this is what verse three says, that Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. That's crazy, right? Okay, so when I was a kid, all I wanted to do was be like my dad. And, and he taught me everything I knew, specifically sports. And, and I was playing golf from like when I was a little kid, like three years old. I won the state peewee golf tournament at age seven. Yes, you heard me right, the state peewee golf tournament. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. It was, it was big, guys. It was big. I have a trophy to prove it. Um, so I loved golf, and my dad taught me how to golf. And, but he would do this weird thing on the course where he would hit a bad shot, and he would start talking to himself, and his name was Doug. So he'd, be, he'd hit a bad shot, and he'd be like, oh, Doug, what are you doing? And he'd just start, like, mumbling, oh, Doug, what are you, gosh, get it together, man. You know, like, so he'd be doing that. And so I'm watching this as a kid, and I just think that's what you do when you golf. And so my oh, Doug's got these like little clubs and I'd like hit the ball and be like, oh, Doug. And then I'd run after it, hit the ball. Oh, Doug. Oh, Doug. Right. Just did it every time because I wanted to be like my dad. Right. Here's the deal. I was like, I, I'm not actually, I wasn't actually like him. Like I, I was, I was bad at golf. I didn't understand what any of that meant, but I was just kind of putting that on trying to be like him. So, so here's what we can be tempted to think about, about Jesus is that he's sort of like God, that he's, he's kind of like the father-son relationship in that sense, right? That he's just trying to be like God. But this is what he's saying is that Jesus is the essence of God. That he's the, the substance of God. That everything that God is, Jesus is. And so here's what that means. Is that you get to know God by looking at Jesus. Some of you have weird objections to Christianity. And maybe they're like Christian arguments that you're getting in and you're trying to fight about like, like free will and sovereignty and that stuff. And like, I'm not saying it's not important, but like, I kind of am. And, and, or like, maybe you're not like in on the Christianity thing and, and you've got like stuff about the Old Testament that you don't like, or you've got these philosophical constructs that like don't fit together about who God is. He, here's the deal. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to think about the mercy of God, look at Jesus. If you want to think about the justice of God, look at Jesus. If you can disprove Jesus, you just disprove Christianity. If you can't disprove Jesus, that he really was who he said he was, that he really rose from the dead in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, which, by the way, is the best explanation for what happened in Jerusalem. I'd love to talk to you about that. If you can't disprove that, then you've got to fall on your knees in front of him because he's now your Lord. Everything hangs on Jesus. And guys, I took huge steps in my faith. When I quit, like, trying to, like, come up with these, I don't know, answers for stuff that I couldn't understand. I'm not, I'm not saying I stopped thinking, but I'm saying when I just started focusing on Jesus, when I realized that the whole story of Christianity and the whole story of the world is about him, and I just wanted to know what the Bible had to say about him, And so this is what that means, that Jesus is the expression of God, that he's the image of God. It means the only way to actually know God is in a personal way. Okay, that it's not enough to know a few facts about him. You have to like actually know him the way that you know a person. Right, so when I was thinking about this, I dug through some old letters that I have from my wife, Jessamy. And uh, some of you know the story of how we met uh, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna like go into that, but Cliff Notes for those of you who didn't, I remember the first time I saw her, it was at the Salt Company retreat. That was maybe a small plug. I'm not saying you'll find the one there. Okay? I'm not saying that. Just saying it was good for me. 
And it's like crazy cheap. I don't know if you guys saw how cheap that is. Okay, I'll talk about that next week. Okay, so I met Jessamy at the Salt Company Fall Retreat, and I still remember it. I like came around a corner, and there she was, blonde, cute, and she had eye black on because we were about to play sports. You guys know what eye black is? It's like the stuff you put under your eyes to keep the sun out of it. And I thought that was awesome because it seemed like BA and sporty, and I thought it was the best. And so I was like, okay, like I got to get to know this girl. And so I did, you know, like I, I jumped in her group, and then, you know, I Facebook stalked her and like met all of her friends and like, you know, did like the normal like creepy guy stuff. But it's only like kind of creepy because it was out of love, you know? Um, and then we entered the long phase of our relationship known as the friend zone. Yeah, it was, it was rough. I told, okay, I don't have time for this, but yeah, there were ups and downs. There were betrayals by my friends. There, were, there was hope gained and hope lost. And, and I thought I was never getting out. But then finally, towards the end of our sophomore year, so if you did your math right, yeah, for like almost two years, I was in the friend zone, convincing her that she loved me. And, and, and we're like about to date, but here's the problem. Like the timing was terrible because I was about to leave to go overseas for the summer. And, and like in the organization that, that we were with, there's like rules about how much you can like communicate while you, they want you to be focused while you're there or whatever. So I wasn't going to be able to communicate her, with her. So we should have just chosen like friends or dating, but we did the whole freighting thing, like the friend dating. You guys know what I'm talking about. You do it. Look, if you have to say the phrase, we're just friends, you're not. Okay, like if you have to clarify that. Anyway, so we did the freighting thing, but this is what we did. I've gotten off track. I'm coming back on. So, so we did the freighting thing, and, but this is what we did is we gave each other letters that we could open up over the summer, right? And they had like do not open by this date on them, right? And so it's like I had these letters that would say like do not open till Janu- or January, till July 8th, right? So on July 7th, I stayed up. And I waited till midnight. And I sat there, like, looking at this letter. But I'm a rule follower, so I didn't open it early. Like, looking at this letter, looking at the clock, looking at this letter, looking at the clock. The last five minutes was, like, the longest five minutes of my life. As soon as it hit 12, I, like, ripped that thing open, read it, read it again, read it again. And then, like, went to bed, woke up, read it, right? Now, do I get that excited when I get my electricity bill delivered to my house? No. Both are important, but why did I care about the one? Because I care about her, right? And when you get communication from someone that you care about, it's an expression of them. Like like people's words are the way that you grow in your relationship with them, that you get to know them. What, what, see, what captures your heart and your mind and, and your life is communication from the one that you love and the one who knows you. And this is what I'm saying. Is that God, like that was a girl. How much better is God? God wants to know you. He wants to communicate with you. Like has that changed your life? Do you, do you care about that? Do you feel something about that? Or do you show up at this stuff and kind of like learn some new facts and go home? Like has it, has it changed you? You know what the Bible is? Like God's revealed himself in his son Jesus and the Bible's a description of that revelation. The Bible is God's love letter to you. Like have you ever read the Bible with that same type of intensity? It'd be worth it. Because God wants to know you. That's nuts. Like, shouldn't that change the way that you relate to him?
If you love God, you will be desperate for communication with him, which means that you'll be desperate to know Jesus because the way that God has communicated with you is through his son. But God communicates not just about his love, but also about his power. Okay, this is the second half of verse two. When he appointed Jesus, the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. Okay, that's, that's nuts. Like, Jesus, like, okay, everything. Like, that, that pole, this whole building, like, the street outside, the, the, the United States, is where, like, everything, this is saying that Jesus made it, and that it's for him. It's his. And, and, and here's the deal. Like, Jesus is either what he claims to be. He's either God who owns everything or he's not. He's either the truth about the universe that explains everything or he's a liar and the entire thing is a sham. There's no middle ground on him. What side are you going to come down on? So I want to read you this quote from, from N.T. Wright that's kind of it's poetic, it's kind of heady, but it's so good. It, it's about this thing. How can you live with the terrifying thought that the hurricane has become human that fire has become flesh, that life itself became life and walked in our midst. Christianity either means that or it means nothing. It's either or. It's either the most devastating disclosure of the deepest reality in the world or it's a sham, a nonsense, a bit of deceitful play acting. Most of us, unable to cope with saying either of those things, condemn ourselves to live in the shallow world in between. He can't be just a nice moral teacher. Like, like stop asking Jesus in your heart. Like, he, Jesus doesn't sort of come into your life and kind of fit into the cracks where you want him. You get invited into his life because he owns the universe. And if he owns the universe, he owns you. But that's hard, right? Like, yeah, there's people that reject God because of intellectual disagreements, but I think that a lot of it comes down to us being control freaks, including myself. Where I see most of us deny the truth about God is people who claim that he is God and that they believe that, and then they go and live however they want. So that's showing up at Salt Company and then going and getting hammered on the weekend. That's reading the Bible and liking the stuff about his love for you and his grace and mercy and cheering on to that, but not really listening to those parts about your sexuality or your pride or your money or your career. Jesus holds the universe in his hands. Like you are his whether you like it or not, the question is just whether you will recognize that and begin to follow it or whether you'll continue to claim Christ and then live however you want and deny him in your life. So that leads us to the third truth, the hard truth about us. But stick with me on this. Okay, but the hard truth about us, the truth about you. This is verse three, the second half. He says this, after making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So Jesus had to make purifications for sins because we 
are impure. Okay, like that's a truth about him, but it's also a truth about us, but we don't like to admit that truth. And I feel like sometimes as Christians, we sort of get surprised when people sin, right? There's that whole, like, some of you have seen this, the whole Christian thing where like somebody sins or like somebody's not a Christian, it's like, oh my gosh, like I can't believe they did that. Why? Like, why can you not believe that? Like that, like human beings are messed up. You're messed up, I'm messed up. Like, that's what human beings are. Or, or some of you get shocked when you sin. Have you ever caught yourself like after sinning saying, man, I can't believe that I fell into that again. Why? Like in and of yourself, that's who you are because human beings, including Christians, are not that good at being good. And, and, and some of you grew up with like weird solutions to this problem, right? That, that you or the people in your life or your church told you that the, the solution to this problem of us being kind of bad at morality is to sort of shame you, to kind of embarrass you for sinning and to kind of scare you into being good, right? This is kind of the, the fire and brimstone preaching, the, the kind of teaching you moralism instead of teaching you Jesus, and, and when I was thinking about this, I remember this example from, I think it's from Matt Chandler. I don't remember if, if it's a book or a sermon, but um, I think it's from him where he was um, sharing the gospel with this woman who had like no Christian background and she was in like an extramarital affair and he was trying to tell her about Jesus. And he invited her along to this concert of his friend who was, who was playing in a concert and, and she went and then after the concert, there was this speaker, okay? And, and he said this guy was just like terrible, like just the, the judgment, the shame, the moralism. And, and he walked up to the mic and he said, I'm about to talk to you about sex. And, and apparently he was kind of like, did you guys have like that abstinence only, like sex ed people in school? Like, I don't know if you had that, I had that. But essentially like the moral of the class was like, if you have sex, you'll get herpes, so don't have sex. Like that kind of thing. Like that's what this guy was doing, right? And his like main illustration was he took this rose and he like took it out of his pocket and he like smelled it and he tossed it into the audience. And he said, you know, pass this around, like make sure you feel it, make sure you smell it, make sure you get it like a feel for what it's like and just pass it around. And then he went on his talk with his talk and he just shamed people in the audience for what they had done wrong. And then his big point at the end was, hey, who's got the rose? And they threw it back up on stage and the rose was like broken and the petals had fallen off and it was all, all kind of like gross. And this was his big point. Is like, if, if you sin, this is you. Like, you're gross. Who would want this rose? And you know what? There's actually something true about what he said. Okay, like, for some of you, you're in that exact situation. You've gone further than you ever thought you would go. And you feel gross about it. Or maybe it's some other sin, right? But like, you know what that's like. I know what that's like. When you screw up in ways that you never thought you would and you feel like the, the shame in your guts about it. So why do you feel like that? Because you are. Like you are impure. I am impure. That's what it means to be human. But listen, what's not true in that illustration is that nobody would want the rose. It's true that we're like the rose, but what isn't true is that nobody would want it. And when you have those voices in your life who want to shame you for the way that you live, 
who want to tell you that you should be better, that you should perform, that you should be able to, to cut sin entirely out of your life in order to be impressive enough for God. Or maybe that voice is you, right? Maybe that's not, not other people, but I have this, right, where you have that negative self-talk going on in your head all the time, and you're constantly kind of bombarding yourself and saying, like, like, why aren't you better than this? Why can't you get it together? Like, like you're so gross. Nobody is, is going to want you. And here's what you have to hear. Who wants the rose? Jesus wants the rose. Like, that's the whole point of this whole thing. Yeah, you're messed up, but Jesus loves you because you're his kid. He created you. He wants relationship with you. He wants to know you. He wants the rose. Because he likes to make broken things new. He likes to make impure things pure. That's what he does. He wants you. You're never too far gone from him. You're never too gross from him. And you know how he proved that to you? It's because he gave you the greatest display of love that you'll, that you'll ever see. And if you pay attention to it, you can't ignore it. Jesus willingly went on trial for you. He was falsely accused. So I read a story about this. There was a man named John Bunn. He was 41 years old from New York, and he was in prison for 17 years for a murder that he didn't commit. And in May, they just they released him because it was found out that there was tainted evidence when they convicted him. Like somebody like essentially lied, tainted the evidence so that he would get a conviction. And it, and it makes me angry, Right? Because the injustice of, of liars sentencing and punishing the innocent. Do you know that that's what Jesus went through when he died? He was examined and questioned like a criminal. Truth was put on trial. And as he testified to the truth to the world, they condemned him as guilty and they yelled, crucify him. And as the innocent was accused by the guilty, he kept silent and he took it. Why? So that you wouldn't ever have to stand on trial for your sins, for your impurities, for your brokenness. He took it so that you don't have to. And you know what? That's not the end of the truth about Jesus. Three days later, he got out of the grave. He rose from the dead. Why? so that you could be like him. He rose from the dead, whole, pure, transformed, so that you can be whole, pure, and transformed. And so this is what's true now. Jesus can purify you so that when God looks at you, Jesus is the filter through which he sees you. Jesus' perfection is what covers you. Are you believing that truth every day of your life? That's not like a one-time deal where like you accept Jesus in your heart and then you kind of move on. Are you believing that truth every day of your life? Guys, we all have these stories in life about ourselves that we tell ourselves and that we tell our other people in our lives. These little narratives that we kind of live by and believe as true and put on to the world. And maybe your story is about cleanness, right? That you're not really that bad, that 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 sin like really isn't that big of a deal, that you kind of can be clean and that you kind of have this together. Or maybe your story is the other way around. Maybe the story that you tell yourself is one of failure and maybe there's people that have fed into that in your life. Parents who, yeah, just like didn't love you the way that they should. 
who didn't speak love back into your life, the guy that left you, the friends that abandoned you, and you've started to adopt this narrative as the thing that's true about you. But this is what I want you to hear is that Jesus has the final word on who you are. You don't even have the final word on you. Jesus has the final word on you. And this is his word over you if you trust him, that you are loved, that you are forgiven, that you are clean, and that you matter. Christianity is learning the story of Jesus so that you can relearn the story of you. You need to start telling yourself a different story. The story of the king who loved you and gave everything to you. That's your life story. And so, so if this is true, if this whole thing is true, that there's a God who badly wants to know you and for you to know him. And if that God is screaming out his existence into creation and then through his word and then finally by his son. And if the truth about you is that you can have new life in him, you can have purity in him, wouldn't it be worth giving your life in college to finding out who that God is? Is there anything in your life that could be more important than that? Could there possibly be anything more important, anything better than learning his story and relearning your story in the process? Let me pray. Jesus, you are the truth. The truth about the world is that you made it, that it's yours, and that, yeah, it's broken because we fell but that it's not going to be broken forever because you're coming back and that you can make everything new. The truth about God is that you're perfectly revealed in your son Jesus and that we can know you. And God, here's the truth about us. We confess it to you. Like, it, okay, if you know this is true of you guys, just like kind of confess this along with me to God. We're impure. We're screwed up. We haven't lived up to the standard that you had for us. But thanks, Jesus, that you don't hold that against us. Thanks that, that you love us, that you'll never leave us, and that you can purify us, that you can make us right with God. That's so good. That's so much better. That's such a better story than any of the stories that we're living for. So help us to live out that story. In your name we pray. Amen.